Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. I have been fed, that's a fact. I have been fed, that's a fact. My credit card purchases get me cash back. My credit card purchases get me cash back. No one else gets these rewards. Sergeant, that is just plain untrue. What in tarnation? Sir, PenFed's PowerCash Rewards Card isn't just for military members. Anyone can get cash back on all purchases. Ah, friggins! You've ruined my favorite song. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash PowerCash. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary. Hey, everyone. This is John Roca from Collider. Every car comes with its share of stories. That ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date, the luxury package you got after a big promotion, or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer. While you can't put a price tag on your stories, now with True Car, you can at least find out what your car's worth when it's time to sell or trade it in. Just go to True Car, simply enter your license plate number, and watch how your car's details pop up. Then answer a few questions. Navigation and moonroof? Watch as they bump up your value. High mileage? You already knew it was going to cost you, but now you know how much it dings your wallet so you can plan ahead. Once you're finished, you'll get a true cash offer sent in minutes, which you can take to a local certified dealer to cash out or trade in. So, when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. True cash offer not available in all areas. Stay little chico pitbull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game, so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I have been fed, that's a fact. I have been fed, that's a fact. My credit card purchases get me cash back. My credit card purchases get me cash back. No one else gets these rewards. Sergeant, that is just plain untrue. What in tarnation? Sir, PenFed's PowerCash Rewards Card isn't just for military members. Anyone can get cash back on all purchases. Ah, friggins! You've ruined my favorite song. PenFed Credit Union. Visit penfed.org slash powercash. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Welcome back to Movie Talk. We have an update on Fantastic Beasts 3. On top of that, new casting news for James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. And then guess what? Guess what our third tease for the day is going to be? It's Avengers Endgame. We are still talking about it. 
right here on Collider Movie Talk. And today, I have the luxury of talking about all those stories with John Roca, of course. Hello. But also Clark Wolf, who's Hello. back on the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's been way too long. How is everything doing? Great. Thank you guys for having me. I'm happy to be back. And uh, it's a slow news day, so I don't know what we're going to talk about. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but it's, I'm happy to be here. We do have quite the lineup today, but we have to start this out on a somber note mm. because John Singleton has passed away today. He's an Oscar-nominated director, and he passed away at the age of 51. He suffered a stroke and was on life support, and his family made the decision today to take him off that life support. The influence of Singleton's breakthrough 1991 film, Boys in the Hood, really cannot be understated here. He was the first black filmmaker ever nominated for Best Director, and still to this day, he remains the youngest nominee in that category as well. He, after that, never ran away from telling stories with race at the forefront, and that includes Poetic Justice, Higher Learning, Rosewood, the remake of Shaft, and Baby Boy. On top of that, he was able to swing from those films to studio films like Too Fast and Too Furious. We also have Four Brothers and Abduction. And then later on in in his career, he started to focus on TV specifically, and he directed episodes of Empire, American Crime Story, Billions, and also Snowfall as well. I will leave it to you guys now. Would you like to say any words about John Singleton and the legacy he leaves? Listen, when you're getting into film at the age that I got into film, John Singleton was someone that blew your mind off the bat with a debut like this, coming off the the Spike Lee tree, you know, learning under him like Ernest Dickerson did as well. You were excited to see what he brought to the forefront. Gangster Rap was blown up in the early 90s. You had a window into this South Central culture with African Americans, what's going on with the young black men in the streets. And you saw it through a very uh, uh, accessible and open and universal way in Boys in the Hood. And that experience cannot be overstated. So many other films came and went. Some hit, some didn't. But you couldn't deny the man's talent and his dedication to his craft. 51 year old, 51 years old is heartbreaking to go. A stroke on the heels of Luke Perry going by the stroke as well. You start, you, it, it kind of shakes you a little bit because strokes are meant for older people that you get the experience here. But these two talented people going out this way is heartbreaking. And, uh, you know, higher learning, I think he leaves a legacy for a lot of young black filmmakers to come through and see what is possible here in this town if you can fight for it, if you get the opportunities, what you can do with it. And I think if anything else, he leaves that kind of legacy uh, and that's a positive thing to go out on absolutely it's such an eclectic resume yeah. from budget size to content mm. some some more romantic or softer stories to action-packed thrilling stories to heavy heavy drama and the idea that he was directing so much prestige television yeah. this is a person who was very much in the thick of it and um, just to echo as you said John like 51 is so young and um, and it's really sad and he he is going to be missed, but the body of work, it speaks for itself, mm-hmm. and, and the legacy speaks for itself. Absolutely. In times like these, I definitely encourage you out there, if you are a fan of John Singleton's work, and you know somebody who is not familiar with some of his filmography or some of these shows, share his work, because Absolutely. so many of the tweets I saw from people who knew him from a career standpoint, all they kept saying was how one, it didn't matter how many jobs he got, he always stayed true to his craft and who mm-hmm. he was, but also his his 
influence on this industry is undeniable. So even though he's gone and that's terrible and heartbreaking, let's not let that stop right now because his influence is very important and it can be for years and years to come. All right. I've got no good transition for this, but we're going to move into our main lineup now today. And of course, as always on Mondays, we kick this off with the box office and Wow, is this a box office segment today? <laughs> so Avengers Endgame, the grand total for weekend one at the domestic box office was $357.1 million. That means the movie made about $100 million more than Avengers Infinity War, which, which held this weekend one domestic opening record before. That one made $257.7 million. According to Box Office Mojo, if Endgame winds up having the same exact multiplier that Infinity War had that means its domestic total can hit something like 920 million which actually doesn't top the record holder there which is force awakens with 936.6 million then when we move to the international worldwide scope we've got an 859 million dollar international total which is over 400 million more than the previous record which was held by the fate of the furious and then on top of that avengers endgame is now officially the fastest ever top a billion dollars globally doing so after just five days of release and right now it already ranks as the 18th largest worldwide release ever i can't believe some of the words that i just read right there <laughs> clark does this number surprise you at all or did you expect it to go this high above infinity war i think this is what i expected i do think that whether or not you participate in seeing every installment of the mcu you know what it is mm-hmm. and this has been been correctly touted and marketing as the end, essentially, of what has come before. So I do think that even the casual viewer is going to show up and and check this one out. Um, and so, yeah, these are the type of numbers that I was expecting. I don't know. This is this is way <laughs> higher than I was expecting. Yeah. I thought originally last week that that I was kind of crazy for saying above three hundred million because as we were nearing the official release, we kept seeing pieces out there saying, yeah, there's a lot of hype and everything, but can theaters even sustain right. 300 million plus worth of tickets and there were a lot of reports that I believe maybe it would cut it close but I wound up going with 305 million the fact that it has 100 million more at the domestic box office than Infinity War is absolutely mm. mind blowing to me and now that I've seen it three times I I couldn't be happier for a movie like this, something that justifies a 22-film arc in a way that isn't just, let's say, fan service and showing you the things that you want to see, but actually having real meaning to everything that happens and earning those moments. That's something really special that I'm happy to see rewarded right now. Yeah, and you can't can't deny that this is also word of mouth. Like, this is really important. Word of mouth is what got Aquaman over that one billion. I think word of mouth is what got this going, the people going multiple times to see this. I knew people I know people who bought tickets for Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Like all weekend they were going to spend 12 hours watching this movie and that blew my mind and and more when you included trailers and all that jazz. Like to me it just blew my mind how much people were dedicated to see this movie multiple times and maybe took ownership of it to push it into that stratosphere in the box office. And that tells you something when you talk about superhero fatigue, guess what? It doesn't exist. And this is the genre now. This is where it's 
happening and people are creating incredible stories. It isn't just putting on tights and spandex and wearing a cape or having a hammer. It's about real stories between real people going through actual real things and loss. And that is incredible when you look at these movies. And obviously, to see how it completely demolished Infinity Mm -hmm. War lets you know that people were waiting with bated breath to see this thing. They knew it was going to be a topic of conversation. Our own Adam, somehow he's avoided seeing this damn thing. (laughs) Everyone else ran to see this thing because they didn't want to have spoilers. And even people who maybe don't like to be around busy areas went just to endure the possibility of seeing this thing without having anything spoiled for them. And that tells you volumes about the work that Kevin Feige and Marvel and Disney, everybody involved in the MCU has done. I know there's another side of this that people have been crowing out about on the internet, but you cannot deny the achievement of this studio and what the Marvel Studios... I mean, think about it. 2008, taking a chance on a guy coming out of rehab with a history of drug problems with Robert Downey Jr., John Favreau fighting for him, giving him the chance, him being the foundation of this incredible thing. Who could have predicted it? Who could have predicted this for the box office? Compare that, who could have predicted this would have been the end result after 10 years? It's very incredible and deserves its own kind of accolade for that. And we'll see if it's got the legs. I think it's, nothing's, to me, nothing is, three billion is in play in my mind. And so I'm like, at this point, because people that love the movie and a word of mouth they're going to go multiple times next weekend as well i just mm-hmm. think that i would be shocked if this didn't wind up topping the force awakens yeah. like i understand at this point in time taking the cue from infinity war and applying that multiplier here but also when we look at cinema score which is usually a pretty mm-hmm. decent indication of what's going to happen weekend two avengers infinity war had an a avengers endgame has an a plus yeah. and the amount of people that i spoke to that walked out of their first viewing saying i need to see it again because the truth of the matter at least for me personally personally is I saw that movie the first time and I gave it an 8.5 out of 10. Mm. I saw that movie a second time where I wasn't completely overwhelmed by all the things that happened in it and then my score increased to a 9 teetering on a 9.5. Then I saw it a third time over the weekend and I walked out thinking to myself is that my favorite movie of the year so far? Mm. I think it (laughs) might be so I really do think we are going to be in a position where we see second, third, fourth, Mm -hmm. Take it even beyond that viewings, and that's going to propel it to even more at the domestic box office. For sure. It's a lot of movie. (laughs) (laughs) Where do you stand on the worldwide thing now? Because Avatar has held that top Mm. spot worldwide for a very long time, and it holds it by a significant amount of money. Do you think we're in a position to finally see that grand total topped? I don't know, because honestly, I don't understand the Avatar thing. Yeah, me too. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and so I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be like snooty. I just don't understand how those numbers are what they are. Mm. That's, and so, so I don't know if the 10-year the history leading up to what we're doing and characters that have been around for decades, you know, culminating in, in this movie, if that is enough to, that seems like it would be enough to, over, mm-hmm. to topple that. But again, I don't understand the Avatar thing. So it's like, I don't know. You're not the only one there. (laughs) And I've had that conversation multiple times this weekend with people asking Mm. me, do you think this means it's going to top Avatar? And I can't really wrap my brain around that because, again, like I said before, it's not like Avatar just eked out a win over some other movies. It is far and beyond Mm. the highest earner. I just just think people are going to, like I said earlier, people are going to take ownership of it and want 
to push it to that level. So people are going to go multiple times with that intention mm-hmm. to push it into to, to maybe take ownership or participate in some small way in pushing it into that place. Because I think a lot of those people do feel the way you do, Clark, and we, and we do maybe. How does Avatar at the top of the list makes no sense? But I will say this. As a fan of film, as a cinephile, I love it that we're in 2019 and a three-hour film is destroying mm-hmm. the box office. Remember when they tell you three-hour films, oh, nobody's going to go see it. There's got enough screenings. 1997, Titanic. Before that, how many epics through the, through the 60s, mm-hmm. 50s, 70s, 80s, 90s like, were able to do this? Gandhi made it. So you look at these three-hour epics, they make money if you do them right. And the fans are willing to sit in theaters for three hours and watch it. I love this whole idea of a pee break. It was like so big, such a big deal. People will sit for three hours and watch. They don't know. They'll go a second time knowing when to pee, a third time even more so. So you, you get that. And I just think this is, I think this is going to destroy Avatar. Absolutely. And when have we ever seen something like 300 blah 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 oh, and 8.2 million is and the second place. And that 8.2 million is Captain Marvel. Yeah. Yeah. It jumped up yeah. so many spots that it really is something else. Yeah. I denied myself a soda for the third time in a row this weekend because <laughs> I wasn't missing a second of the movie. You guys can bet we are going to keep you updated on all the Endgame box office milestones as they come in. Now that we have to move on to our second story, and this is a fantastic Beast 3 update. So Warner Brothers announced today that Fantastic Beast 3 is now going to hit theaters on November 12, 2021, which marks nearly three years to the day since we saw The Crimes of Grindelwald. Initially, the studio was eyeing a November 2020 release for Fantastic Beast 3, but then it was revealed that the production start date was being pushed back to give the filmmakers a little more time to hone that script and address some notes. The president of Worldwide Theatrical Distribution and Home Entertainment, Ron Sanders, reiterated that this is a full five-film story we're getting here. They said, we look forward to bringing the third chapter of the five-film series to audiences around the globe in November 2021. Our resident Harry Potter enthusiast over there, (laughs) Roka, how are you feeling about this delay? Are you still interested in the Fantastic Beast series? I had so much hope when the Fantastic Beast series started because it wasn't necessarily uh, uh, having to be a slave to a series of J.K. Rowling books. It could be its own thing, create its own universe, create its own uh, lore and mythology, but this last uh, installment, coming on the heels of an uneven first installment, really soured me on the franchise overall. And sure, take the time come out in 2021. I think this is also, and this is a piece of me that's a little cynical, I think this is also a studio going, we want people to forget their experiences from the first two films, forget that Johnny Depp may or may not still stay in this thing. I think this is smart in terms of business to kind of move this away for a little bit, let other things take center stage, and then come back and like, because time heals all wounds, people will forget and give it another chance, but I think if it doesn't do well this third time, you get, you got to kill this thing and Even start all over again. Film yeah, yeah, well, we saw the Power Rangers, Perry, sometimes you can't just announce you're how many you're going to do. You're always going to throw that in my face, aren't you? And <laughs> I can't even saying, defend it because they made a stupid move. They, they put the cart before the horse. That's the thing, and I think they did this here too, talking about five installments. I never understand why a studio does that. Take your time. Look, with, Avengers, with MCU, Marvel, that's a separate conversation. But something like this, you've got to make sure you get it right. you got to make sure the public responds to it well because you're walking out on a tightrope with something like the Harry Potter fandom. And so I think they've really let them down overall and say so they hope this break will let people forget, but we'll see. We'll see. I think people are very hurt by how this hasn't turned out well. Clark, do you have any interest and faith in this one? 
No. <laughs> um, what I will say, though, is it sounds to me like perhaps some of these notes or, or structural issues might be soft reboot yeah. territory, mm-hmm. feels like. which um, we've talked to one of the last times I was on Movie Talk, this came up and I... You know, like, I've never seen one of these movies, meaning not a Harry Potter movie, right. but like the Crimes of Grindelwald um, thing. And and so my point is that, you know, I could be interested in a fantasy world. I could be interested in experiencing these side stories within the Harry Potter universe. But at this point, I'm two movies out. So if you want to grab someone mm. like me who, or somebody who might have been burned mm. by the last one or two and not really liking them, then you're going to have to reintroduce some things. So to me, this screams of okay how can we continue telling the main you yeah. know main parts of our story but also hopefully make a better quality product and um entice new viewers to come on board so curious what kept you from jumping into the other two so i will be honest with you i uh, really love the books mm. i love the harry potter books but um i didn't ever click with the movies Mm. Um, and so the movies weren't uh, important to me and so when this kind of came around I looked at the trailer and sort of you know and sort of went I'm all set Mm -hmm. you know Mm. I can understand that it just doesn't have to me that that broader main appeal especially with so much content right now exactly yeah I think that's the problem you have you want to bring people like Clark into the fold who've read the books and right. get them excited. Oh, this is a new thing that's not part of the books, but you have a main character that's weird to access, very difficult to access him. Then you create a romance in the first film that you absolutely soak in water in the second film. And then you have a change in the first film that becomes another person that isn't really a popular actor that now that's been accused of domestic violence. There's a lot of strikes against this franchise in this per- certain iteration. And so I think, Clark, you make a great point. If, if this is to angle into a soft reboot, then then there's possibilities to save it. But it would take a hell of a soft reboot. They got to do a lot to win back some of my faith yeah. right now. Because sure. even though I think the first Fantastic Beast isn't great, it doesn't match some of the other Harry Potter movies for me, there was enough in it to get me on board. I really liked that foursome. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden we got Crimes of Grindelwald. And not only did it kind of extinguish all the enthusiasm that I got from the first one, but... It was almost like I'm not a book reader, and there was a little bit of an effect on me where I felt like I was being excluded for not knowing the mm. ins and outs and the places and the little details. And as someone who had seen the first movie, I shouldn't have felt like that. And I felt so frustrated. I was disappointed in the story that they crafted. But the fact that I felt a little excluded, mm. I think that was the biggest bummer of all. And no franchise should really do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually that's a great point making you feel excluded is not what they should be looking to do. It's mm. to access and make it uh, easy for you all to gravitate onto the lore because you don't even have to have watched any of the Harry Potter movies exactly. to jump into Fantastic Beasts and that and should the cool have been their job. the thing about the Harry Potter films too is not that I actually have gotten around to doing this mm. because not enough time in the day but those movies have at least made me want to go read the source material and yes. I'm having a similar thing with Game of Thrones. I'm going to wait until it ends and then I'm going to finally listen to those audiobooks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got places Not to go. Read I've, got, listen, no, I've got miles to hey, run. I'm, I'm going to take it with I'm me. Team Perry on this one. I'm all about audiobooks. I, however you read, read. Like yeah, I'm telling yeah, you, true, the production yeah. value. Yes. If you're not at least trying one or two here or there, you're missing out, especially uh, the Star Wars ones. All right. Before we move on to story number three today, I have to remind you, we're taking your Twitter questions at the end of the show. Use the hashtag Collider Movie Talk. We will not be addressing any Endgame spoilers in the Twitter. 
Twitter section. So do not ask any questions about Endgame. We're not going to pick them. All right, moving on to story number three now. We are moving over to D.C., and I am apologizing in advance for the name that I am about to butcher. <laughs> According to THR, James Gunn has cast David Doc. That's Malkian. Sure. It's like I know his name and I can spell it, but I just can't say it very quickly. Mm-hmm. I will soon because he has been cast as Polka Dot Man in the Suicide Squad movie. Polka Dot Man first appeared in Detective Comics number 300 1962 per Wikipedia as the fearsome Mr. Polka Dot, which is his original name in the comics. He wore a bizarre costume covered in spots, the point of which soon became apparent. Once removed from the costume, the spots could be used for a variety of purposes. <laughs> Creating deadly again cannot laugh. Creating deadly weapons and a bizarre escape vehicle. The Suicide Squad opens in theaters August sixth, twenty twenty one. This sounds crazy. I kind of love it. Roca, tell yeah. me more about Polka Dot Man. Uh, his name is Abner Krell. He's a, a small time uh, criminal who uh, vacillates between poverty and a little bit of money. He sometimes runs with the Condiment King, which is another one that you need to be worried about. A little mustard and ketchup and relish action, um, but. He was seen in Brave and the Bold. If you've seen the Brave and the Bold animated series with Diedrich Bader doing a fantastic Batman, uh, he was in the Lego Batman movie just as, a, as an homage to Polka Dot Man. It's a nice little thing to include him. But he's an interesting cat because his polka dots, when they're on his uniform, do nothing. But once he disattached them, they can be anything. They can be a buzzsaw. They can be a vehicle to escape, a, like a, a, a sliding whatever thing there. And then it also can be a portal where you can transport from one place to another, which I've, se- I've seen before in the comics. And he's like Schwarzenegger level type puns with the dot, everything the dot dots it or dots the last straw, like things of that nature. Uh, but he's had a very violent, um, how did it, violent reaction from uh, Batman and Robin through the comics. They've thrown him through plate glass windows. They've beaten him up to within an inch of his life. He, uh, uh, you know, becomes depressed, becomes an alcoholic. So this is an interesting choice. But I love this because it means that James Gunn is veering away from that Suicide Squad vibe that Ayer had in the first film, which was a little more harder edge, and having a little more fun with these characters. We throw something like Polka Dot Man in there, it is for fun. Especially David Dismalchin. And I love that he's going back to DC, because remember, he's in Dark Knight. He's the one that Joe, the policeman, the Joker, kind of manipulates the crazy person that he uses there uh, with the Joker in the scene where they sh- supposedly shoot Jim Gordon. So, uh, you know, he's been in the Marvel Universe, so maybe he's dusted? I don't know, or didn't come back? But uh, either way, uh, it's nice to see him kind of being back in the comic book world on DC side. Think about all the good someone with this ability could do. They yeah. could just like throw out a polka dot and create a puppy or a pizza or something that isn't a buzzsaw. <laughs> sure, sure. But then how does he solve, how does he just steal money? That's the thing. He steals money to fund his polka dots. So, you know. Alright. I'm glad I can figure out the ins and outs of polka dot, man. Clark, what do you think about this character's inclusion in Suicide Squad? Can anybody actually bring this character to screen well, like James Gunn probably can? I mean, of course. Co- yes, of course. Mm. Like a talking raccoon is my favorite character in the entire MCU. Like, I, I, you know, Barry, you and I have talked at length about our love for James Gunn, his, oh, yes. mm-hmm. his style, his tone, um, you know, he, he's, um, yeah, so that said, you know, I, I don't think we can underestimate how valuable what he was able to do with Guardians of the Galaxy wow. was, making that not only, like, a soft hit, but a huge hit, and some of the more beloved characters in the MCU. Mm-hmm. So, with that said, I love the idea that I want to see this world as constructed and orchestrated by James. I love everything, all the background that Roko is giving about 
you know, this, this like very dark, yeah. uh, the, you know, alcoholism and violence juxtaposed against this flashy, you know, mm. polka dot like nonsense. So it's, it's to me, this just is the world I wanted to see in the Suicide Squad in the first place, mm. probably. And, um, and, and I think James is absolutely the person to do it. And did you say 2021? That is so yeah. long. August yeah. 6, 2021. I don't know why I was thinking this was going to be next year. So, boo. I almost yeah. wish it was next year yeah. because then it would give us a better chance at getting this and then Guardians 3 so close to one another. Exactly. But, you know, we've got to wait for the good things if we want them. And mm-hmm. we want them done right. So, I will wait. All right. We have another story for you right now. And this one needs a major spoiler alert. <laughs> Goodbye in the booth, Goodbye, Adam. Adam. We will Adam see you later. Out. Thank you for stepping in, Cody. <laughs> we want to address some quotes that surfaced online today about Avengers Endgame. And they address a major, major spoiler in the movie. So this is it. It's your last chance to tune out. We are going to jump into the story right now. All right. So hair-raising possibility. Whoever wrote that caption, (laughs) hair-raising possibility. Thanks to Thad for that one. I like that. So one of the most devastating moments in Avengers Endgame is when Black Widow sacrifices herself in order to acquire the Soul Stone. And there are some quotes from screenwriters Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely from, I believe it was a New York Times piece, and they revealed in that piece that there was a different version of that scene originally scripted where it was actually Hawkeye who sacrificed himself not Black Widow. Here's what McFeely said. There was for sure Jen Underdahl, our visual effects producer, read an outline or draft where Hawkeye goes over and she goes don't you take this away from her. I actually get emotional thinking about it. Marcus added and it was true. It was him taking the hit for her. It was melodramatic to have him die and not get his family back and it is only right and proper that she's done so do you guys agree with this take on this because i've heard both sides of the equation here and i can understand what kind of motivates those feelings i am of the opinion that that was a beautiful send-off for black widow especially given one of the most emotional scenes towards the beginning of the movie where she's basically breaking down after that communication she has with a bunch of the other surviving avengers uh, I have mixed feelings mm. about it. I still, I, I have sat with it for a few days. And um, on the one hand, I do believe that it is a respectful and fitting end to a character that I feel like we only heard about. Mm. I would, I feel, meaning I would have, throughout the course of all of these movies, really loved to have spent more time with Natasha in a real way. Um, I feel like there was a lot of heavy lifting that was done with Hawkeye and his family towards the end of these this current phase, and um, but that is be for reasons. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it feels like the filmmakers and the team decided they wanted to invest in Jeremy Renner's Hawkeye and so they gave him a family out of nowhere and they gave and listen that's not disrespect to any of the actors they pulled it off beautifully but that said Natasha always got the short end of the stick to me and so I feel conflicted because it's like wow okay they really never quite did right by her Mm -hmm. um so uh yeah I just I don't know how I feel about it 
feel like Nathan Lane in Birdcage, bewildered, <laughs> confounded, whatever he <laughs> yes, says there. Yes. So I, it, it was an interesting moment because I, I still don't think she's done yet. They're saying she's done. So I, th- I thought, th- I thought Volume Three. We've talked about this on on one of our Avengers mm-hmm. Endgame videos that I think Volume Three of Guardians of the Galaxy is going to be them trying to release Gamora and Black Widow from the Soul Stone somehow because mm-hmm. we didn't see a lot about that dimension at all. So I think it's still possible for her to come back. Her sacrifice was great. The back of fortune to him, her and Hawkeye was so unexpected and a great moment in the movie. But if you kill Hawkeye, right, the most current thing is his family. The whole motivation of him becoming Ronan is to get his family back. Would he have sacrificed himself to get his family back? There was a moment that could have happened, but would it have had the same power as that moment where we see the phone ringing and he walks over and picks it up and it's, mm-hmm. it's Linda Carlini, his wife, calling him in the movie. And you get that. You won't get that with Natasha. You don't have that with Natasha because Natasha doesn't have a connection with everybody. Um, and I think Scarlett Johansson has had a tough time of it playing this character. And I agree with you, Clark. It's been underserved for a number of years in this. And her, too. Like, she, remember they made that joke about her being the mm-hmm. whore of Avengers? And you're like, man, what do you, why would you even say something stupid like that in a press run? It's like she's, she's had to endure this kind of stuff. And maybe she's hit that wall where she's done. You know, I don't. The character was fun to play for what it was it was never fully written out the way i would like it to write great do a prequel movie of me but don't do don't put me in the group thing anymore because i haven't had a chance to really spread my wings with this character mm-hmm. and i wonder if this would have all changed clark and perry if they had done a black widow solo movie years ago yeah would this have changed the narrative of this film I can't deny how eager I am to see more of Black Widow. Yeah. Yes, I wish she was in more of the movies. I wish she had her solo movie far sooner than she's getting it. What gives me a little hope is that after watching Avengers Endgame for the third time, then I went home and I rewatched Captain America, the first Avenger, yeah. and Iron Man. And when I tell you, you will have greater appreciation for, at, at the very least, those movies. I'm going to do a full MCU rewatch now. But those two movies, there are certain details that are far richer than I ever could oh, have imagined yeah. them to be. So. What I'm hoping right now is it could just be a really interesting and unique way to kind of re-explore her arc throughout the franchise that maybe we're going to get a Black Widow prequel now that will make you then go back and look at her appearance in Iron Man 2 and up to Endgame in a completely different way. And if we wind up enriching her as a character that way... I will be happy. But the one thing I do push back on is this idea of the funeral. She wouldn't get a funeral. But what? Like, what, what is this idea? Peggy Carter got a funeral. Here, wait, she was wait. a damn let me, spy. Let me read she, that. Yeah, read that. There's she was a, a spy? There's a couple of bits actually in this section that, that, that uh, had a couple question marks for me. So, Marcus said, Tony gets a funeral. Natasha doesn't. That's partly because Tony's this massive public figure and she's been a cipher the whole time. It wasn't necessarily honest to the character to give her a funeral. The biggest question about it is what Thor raises there on the dock. We have the Infinity Stones. Why don't we just bring her back? Then McFeely added, but that's the everlasting exchange. You bring her back, you lose the stone. So that also ties into what you were saying before about the possibility of them returning the stone and getting her back. But I don't know how much... I'm I'm like flip-flopping on the funeral thing, and not to bury you guys in quotes, but there's another quote that we really should read right now that also ties into that. McFeely added this about why now was the right time to end Natasha's journey. He said, her journey in our minds had to come to an end if she could get the Avengers back. She comes from such an abusive, terrible, mind-controlled background, so when she gets to Vormir and she has a chance to get the family back, that's a thing she would trade for. The toughest thing for us 
was we were always worried that people weren't going to have time to be sad enough. The stakes are still out there and they haven't solved the problem, but we lost a big character, a female character. How do we honor it? We have this male lens and it's a lot of guys being ding, sad ding, that a woman died. Yeah, you see the red that flag that I... exactly yeah. how yeah. I felt yeah. in that scene. I was, and also, since we're spoilers spoil, yeah. here... Uh, when Nebula, who was just a big part of this, is right. not in the room, and none of these guys look around and go, hey, where's Nebula, our new part of our team? Right. It, it, it was a room filled with men. It was, like, striking to me. And I was like, hey, knuckleheads, if you guys were paying attention, you maybe would have figured out that she was off there, you know, getting into trouble. That, that, <laughs> that really, I was just like, wow, this feels so weird. Yeah. It felt so weird to me that she felt like an afterthought through 20 or this whole MCU. No. And then she's remembered by these knuckleheads in a room being like, I'm sad. Yeah. And, and they don't Tony, It's not like Tony's funeral was a big public funeral that everybody came to. It was literally right. an affair at the back of a house. They, they could have given that to Natasha. They could have had a conversation where they actually echo what the fans have been saying. We should have paid more attention. Yes. We should have been there for, we should have found more time to spend time. God now, but, but then you'd have had the mea culpa yes. that I think a lot of female yes. fans and uh, you know, men who watch this and can pick this out would have an, had an issue with watching the movie. That's why I think that quote funeral thing is bullshit. And admitting to the male lens, thinking you're saying the right thing when you're actually saying the wrong thing is incredible misstep there. And uh, there's so much. And Eve, they underserved her even in this movie by having her die near the near near kind of the near the end, but not really end of the movie. And then just keep moving on because the stakes on. aren't done. And <sighs> that's so frustrating overall. And I think that's might be why Scarlet walked away from this whole thing. It was like, I'm just going to do my standalone thing and have fun. And no, one shot of all the ladies Avengers spinning around is not enough to counter what you've made mistakes on to these female characters. In the context of the film, I actually think that worked for me. I thought mm. the, her actual death sequence was so beautifully done and those performances were so strong that I was rocked to the core in that moment. Mm. The fact that she is able to sacrifice herself for this family that she was such a key part in constructing really moved me. And then with A-Force uniting in that moment, yeah. what I liked was it immediately brought me back to her sacrifice thinking, look at what was she, look at what she was so key to putting together. So I like the feeling of her presence in that mm -hmm. moment, but clearly the way that this quote was worded yeah. has me raising my eyebrows a little. It seems like a very backwards way of explaining this away and uh, it's it's hard hard not to walk away from this feeling just like a little cold by how it was this big fanfare for a couple of other characters mm -hmm. and all she really got in the funeral scene is when Hawkeye and Scarlet Witch walk off together yeah. and they're like do they know I think they know right yeah I would also say too you know uh, the with respect to the small funeral or a funeral versus no funeral I thought about that too like the idea that she's this spy this mm -hmm. kind of covert mm -hmm. uh, person but also she's an Avenger. <laughs> so I was like, you know, like, yeah. like if when the Avengers are saving the world and there are inevitable, like, film, you know, cameras or whatever, like, she's there and she, I don't know. I, yeah. Maybe that's a silly rationale. And but. Especially for Hawkeye, who was vilified for years as being useless on the team. Right. You know, Natasha suffered the same fate at times because she's just shooting weapons and fighting, but like, she deserved better because she was able to do more with the limited amount of screen time she got and the scenes she got. Scar 
Charlotte made them live. Right. And what you say, Perry, you go back to what you said earlier about going back and looking at these MCU movies where she has integral roles in Captain America's journey totally. and Hawkeye's journey. Mm-hmm. There's some real emotion like that. When they recall Budapest on their way into that, into Vormir, you're just like, there's more to explore here to kill her up. I'm hoping that they did this just to give it a little break, let the fans kind of like accept that this gone and then bring her back mm-hmm. and really do right by her. That would be the smart move. We're done. Hawkeye's done his thing. Unless there's an X-rated Ronin movie coming, I don't need to see Hawkeye anymore other than in that TV show. But Black Widow deserves some kind of... I'm glad you isolated the TV show. Otherwise, you're kind of screwed there. We've got a lot of Hawkeye coming our way. And you guys can bet we're going to cover it all here right on Movie Talk because these Disney Plus shows, hey, they intersect with the MCU. So now we have an excuse. (laughs) All right, before we move into your live Twitter questions, I have some plugs to share. Of course, tomorrow you are getting Collider Live in the morning. Brand new episode of Collider Movie Talk at 4 p.m. PT Live. On top of that, we've got a new episode of Rule of Two coming your way tomorrow. And I think that's about it for now. Oh, and tons of Endgame coverage. We're not done with those videos. Roker, you were working on a couple more today. Yeah, so yeah. We're... Let's not spoil oh, anything. Spoil anything? Right. No spoilers. But Game of Thrones stuff is out. The, Game the, of Thrones the little spoiler flag is gone. Yeah. So right. we're, we're done with spoilers. Right. Uh, we're not addressing any spoilers in these Twitter <laughs> questions, which is exactly why I'm going to J. Scott for real for this first one, because he asks... What does the Sonic the Hedgehog movie that's rumored to, oh, the movie trailer that's rumored to drop tomorrow need to do to get you on board with this latest video game adaptation? <laughs> well, my friend wrote the movie. Oh, So really? I'm already Shout on out. board. Okay. Josh Miller, what up? We're in a book club together, nerds. <laughs> <It's kinda cool. laughs> nice. Uh, put Black Widow in it. There you go. No, I don't know. I'm not a Sonic Hedgehog person, so I can't imagine they'll do much. Pikachu picked my interest, so maybe if this has something unique to it that uh, makes a guy like me get into it, then yeah, we'll see it. I'm curious. Clearly, I don't think the uh, the posters that have been released are really uh, spot on. but. At the same time, it's like, I hate saying, you know, any news is news, but the memes that have come from that, I think, might have brought in the the viewership and the interest in something Mm. like this. So they've definitely got a lot weighing on that trailer, and I'm curious to see what wound up happening with it, because Sonic was a big deal for me growing up. I played Sega all day and all night. (laughs) It was a problem. All right, this next question here comes from JB, who asks, oh boy, is it too soon to start talking about RDJ for an Oscar? As in Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know that I'd give him the honor. It's an ensemble movie. I would also say that he's been better in this role mm-hmm. in other movies. Ooh, fair like points. I, I, I think I've seen more from him elsewhere. Iron Man 3 especially. That's what I was PTSD more thinking story about. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, I so I think Yeah, I would agree. This one feels more like an ensemble for sure. For me, ne- uh, Karen Gillan should be oh, conversation for great. best supporting actress. She was yeah. incredible as Nebula. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe not in the best actor category. Mm. Actually, I take that back. Maybe in best actor. I really would not be surprised if Endgame plays the long game and winds up, you know, following in Black Panther's footsteps, mm. having a huge box office this, opening yep. and then making its way all the way to Oscar time in ways that we don't usually see with superhero movies. Mm. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if we start talking about the script here. Obviously, the technical categories are all in play. Mm. But, yeah, I, I don't think I'd be all that shocked to hear that some of them wind up with acting nominations. Well, and, uh, and directing nominations, too, I think should be factored into here. I mean, you go and direct the three-hour epic that's the 
culmination of a 22-film 22, uh, 22 journey and knock it out of the park the mm-hmm. way they did. I'm sorry. Drag a nice independent film that really evokes my emotion. You should also look at this other side, too. That's an incredible feat to do. It goes back to the conversation we have around Oscar time every year. We have 10 slots yeah. for a reason. Yeah. Yep. The whole point of us, I would argue, of them adding those 10 slots, you're making it 10 mm-hmm. slots for Best Picture, is to be able to honor yeah. the more mainstream movies that reflect audiences tastes while elevating and honoring more independent films or smaller yeah. films mm-hmm. or more dramatic films like film is all encompassing so that's what the 10 slots are for given the box office the fan response and the critic response i would feel super comfortable right now saying avengers endgame is going to wind up with the best picture nomination fair I will see. I hope so. I would say I hope so. I'm the only one who jumped in. Mm-hmm. All right. Now let's do one more question. And I feel like I need to pick a horror genre question oh. because we have Clark on the show. Okay. All right. Well, thanks and for having me on the show. Bye, Roca. <laughs> Good old Chris D'Onofrio gave us a great question. Oh, Chris. How do you feel about the future of the Conjuring universe and those helming the next couple of films? That's a great question. Well, I am very curious about Annabelle in the basement. What is it called? Annabelle comes home. Okay, Annabelle. <laughs> Annabelle in the basement, I'd go see. I'd go see. Annabelle in the basement. <laughs> Last year at Comic-Con, they, they described it as a night at the museum, but with all of the horror, <laughs> horrible otter, uh, uh, artifacts in the Warren's basement, which I love. And of course, like we know that we're getting um, Ed and Lorraine, you mm-hmm. know, in in Annabelle in the basement. So, which now it needs to be called. I'm going to forget um, that. But, um, but what I I would say is um is i'm just curious about the future of the warrens you know like they're they're the warren centric story mm-hmm. we talked about it on nightmares mm-hmm. all the time how we wanted the conjuring movie set in the 80s with the werewolves like you know it sounds like clue <laughs> with the candlestick but um yeah so so i i certainly wish that james i i always want james wan kind of in charge of the mm-hmm. like main you know, tentpole conjuring movies, but you know, he's got other things. He's got bigger fish to fry. I got a um, whole lot of faith in Michael Chaves directing that third totally. conjuring movie. Yeah. I, I, I enjoy, I, you know, follow him on the Instagrams. He seems lovely. Um, and, uh, and I think that they're not going to trust, you know, they're not going to trust this franchise to people that they don't trust. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, we saw David Sandberg and Shazam, like, I mean, you know, and he did Annabelle creation and so on and so mm. forth. So they're keeping this in the family. This is a huge, huge moneymaker mm-hmm. for them. They're not messing around. Did you ever see La Llorona? Annabelle in the basement. <laughs> um, I, yeah, did you see La Llorona? Did I see Curse of La Llorona? I did not. Not yet. I, was, I thought you were going to run out to see that. I was going to run out to see it, and then I didn't run out to see it. Because <laughs> the reviews were kind of middling, so I was yeah. not sure if I wanted to put myself through it. But I will see it once this dies down, this Avengers mm-hmm. Endgame stuff right. dies down, and I can go to a theater without getting swamped right. like World War Z, then yes, mm-hmm. I'll absolutely go. I was right in the middle on it. Mm. I was not impressed by the script. I was impressed by his eye mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. his okay. directing okay. and everything thing I saw in that movie to me says this guy well suits The Conjuring 3 so as long as he gets the right material to work with and performances in La Llorona were also great too but when you have that weak story you're just not going to sell me that hard on it so that's kind of where I landed with that and then of course we have another nun movie on the way too which Mm. I 
don't quite know if I want that, but you want I think none of it. I want none oh. of it. I want none of that. <laughs> Aren't you guys glad I'm back? Didn't you miss me? Speaking of poking up, man. <laughs> All right, guys, we got to wrap up right there. A huge thank you, Roca, for being here as Please, always. And Clark, thank you Yay, so much for thank coming you guys back. So much for having me. This was so fun. Can you tell everybody where to find your work right now? Absolutely. Please find me at Clark Wolf, Clark with an E, Wolf with an E on Twitter and Instagram, and um, check out my podcast, Sending the Wolf. John Roca, you have been on there. Terry, we've got to get you on there soon, I hope. And uh, yeah, I'm up to episode 49, so there's lots and lots to listen to, so Mm -hmm. just check it out. Sending the Wolf. I remember when you first started that. It feels like just yesterday. It's a lot of work. So go (laughs) check that out, guys. Another huge thank you to our guys in the booth. Oh, is Adam back there now? Adam's back. Thanks to Cody for filling in. Thank you to Adam for always being back there, unless we talk about Endgame spoilers. (laughs) Guys, that is a wrap on today's Movie Talk. Do not forget to like and share the video on YouTube. Head on over to the podcast network as well. That's where you can rate and comment. That always helps us out. And guess what? We're going to be back at this table tomorrow, 4 p.m. PT Live. Hey, little Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game, so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. Ah. Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary.